Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And if you want to find out a little bit more about our station, you can go to forwardradio.org, and we're live streaming now. And if you go to that website, click on a button. You can hear us anywhere in the country anywhere in the world. So, folks, uh, we've got a great guest for you today. We've got Max Shaw, who's a retired librarian, a veteran of the Army and the Air Force. And we've got a, he also uh, does book talks around town uh, uh, on a variety of subjects. And so we're, our topic today is going to be the legacy of Colin Powell, 1937 to 2021, who just passed away. So welcome, Max Shaw. Welcome to our station. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate And um, I think this is a great subject, and I um, would love talking about it with you. Love talking about it with you. Um, the great uh, four-star general, Colin Powell. So, uh, uh, again, uh, Colin was born uh, uh, 1937 and uh, died... Uh, not too long ago, at 84 years of age, uh, he was sort of came of age in the, um, you know, the 50s and 60s, late 50s, early 60s, when he came to adulthood, and uh, of course, uh, among other other things, he was the, you know, first uh, Af- African American chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and first Black Secretary of State, so. So what do you make of the life and times of uh, Colin Powell? And we'll get into the details later, folks, but uh, what's your initial take? Uh, my uh, initial take is as a military person, he was, of course, a role model for mili- many uh, military people. And the thing about it is, as you know and I know in America, the first, when they say first African-American to become the joint uh, become leader of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or the first African American to become Secretary of State. Of State, uh, we have a certain amount of pride because, to us, with what African Americans have gone through in America, it feels good to have a first and to have someone of high stature. It is certainly uh, someone over the military, and certainly someone right next to the President of the United States in the so-called White House that was actually built by black Americans, which should be called, I guess, the Black House. But the point is, someone of great stature, a respect, a role model, a leader um, of America, not just of the black community, but certainly someone that uh, led America in war, led America uh, in diplomacy, a great statesman, it just happened to be the fact that he was black, uh, which is by American standards, uh, not like the rest of us, but of course he was the black first. Not the black first American, but the black first African American. That's goes the life of Colin Powell, a great American patriot. Well, I have the opportunity to, uh, you know, read both of the books that I see he wrote about himself, and uh, and uh, I kind of sort of identified with him in a sense that 
my my own father came of age in the in the fifties, and uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities for African Americans, even if you had a college degree. And so you kind of had to find, uh, get in where you fit in. Uh, uh, back in those days, uh, if you were African American, and uh, and some African Americans did really take to and still do today the military in the sense that. You know, Colin Powell went to City College of New York when it was still free, absolutely free, and uh, went through ROTC and just loved it, just loved it. And so he decided uh, that the Army has, was how he was going to make it. You know, that's what he was going to do. And, uh, of course, my next-door neighbor, uh, Major Gant, who's passed away, he told me, he after Af- African-American, World War II generation, got a battlefield commission in Korea. He told me the only way to make it in the Army is if you love it. You have to love it or you can't make it. Well, he's absolutely right. I, I mean, if that's a question you're posing about that, he's absolutely right. You would have to like it because I was in two services and I left. I also was in ROTC, graduated college, and went in as a uh, second lieutenant. And I must say that... Uh, in my uh, opinion, in my opinion only, um, uh, African Americans in the military must uh, aspire to a higher uh, level of uh, everything, behavior, valor, um, uh, looking for respect, um, everything, to be a leader, to be considered a leader in the, in the, uh, in the military, military, whether you're in the Air Force, Army, Navy, or Marines, you have to be above all of that, uh, which could just be considered to be standard requirements. And so uh, um, he was National Security Advisor to President Ronald Reagan. Right. In 1989, Powell received his four-star, and that's what right. we call sort of a full general, because there's brigadier, major, right. lieutenant, and... Quote, unquote, well, you, know, you, general. Have brigadier, you have a major general, you have lieutenant general, which is a three-star. So you start with brigadier, one-star. Um, then you've got uh, major general, which is a two-star. And then when you hit lieutenant, you got three. But when you make full four-stars, you are the man. Unless, of course, I, well, you're the man. How about that? Well, there you go. And uh, then President George Herbert Walker Bush nominated him as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the military's top job. So he was the first African-American, the first ROTC graduate, and the youngest officer to serve in the position.
Yes, yes. Uh, as I remember reading his books, and uh, and uh, he talked about how much he loved drill. That even as a uh, as a general, when uh, people retired, he would plan their retirement ceremonies as far as organizing the the arm. You know, people of a certain rank retire. There's certain kind of parades and all this kind of stuff that goes on. And and Colin Powell just loved organizing. Uh, that he just loved drill, uh, so all the the traditions of the army is something that that he really appreciated the the structure, uh, the order, the discipline, something that he took to. It just felt natural to him, something he enjoyed, and was able to to do well. Uh, it did serve uh, two tours in Vietnam. That's correct, yes, yes. So. Uh, he had had that experience and uh, then came back to the states. Was able to right. continue also the progression. In Vietnam, I believe he uh, received a leg injury of some sort. But as you said, that's distinguished valor right there. When you're serving in war, no matter how poor the how poorly the war goes, or if you're you know be, you know enough, you overwhelm the uh, other side. It doesn't matter. Serving in war makes you. Um, what it makes you, it makes your career. You become a war veteran, or you become a wartime uh, uh, officer or wartime person in the military, and you can, depending, move up in the ranks. And, and, unless, of course, uh, something happens during the war that turns you, uh, you know, uh, I shouldn't say rabid, but does something to you. But in this case, right here, he thrived. He thrived in wartime, he thrived in peacetime. He was, again, as you said, uh, as you said, stated, uh, he loved it. He loved what he was doing. And that has to be, in anything you do, that has to be it. Uh, as we know, and, we'll, and I might be getting ahead a little bit, he didn't love too much being Secretary of State. But uh, as you said, being uh, a military person and an officer throughout in the military and then just being a part of all of it, planning things and doing things, that was his, uh, well, that was his, uh, his love, his love of his job. So um, his reputation uh, was really uh, made because uh, he was uh, in overall command when we had the first Gulf War under uh, yes. George Herbert Walker Bush, which which was a unrivaled, uh, untarnished success. That, and part of it's because George Herbert Walker Bush kind of knew when to quit. Uh, right. Old man, I just call him Old Man Bush. So the old the father, Old Man Bush, yeah, yeah. So uh, they they came in. Uh, they you know they took Kuwait back, as you all people may recall. Iraq invaded Kuwait and uh, occupied it, so the the Allies, led by the United States, uh, uh, pushed uh, the Iraqi army out, and then when the Iraqi army was in retreat, uh, the Allied forces more or less annihilated it, because uh, the Allied, that is, the Iraqi army was uh, on those roads uh, on those roads retreating. It's the exact word. 
HBCU. That is exactly right. They were annihilated. But I wouldn't say by the Allies. If the Allies had to fight by themselves, that would have been probably a fair fight. With the United States there, and I think it was about 70% us, uh, the United States there, 70% us, and 70% of us doing with the other people's flags based on the plane, uh, we did the uh, heavy lifting and the destruction the absolute destruction of, as you said, pushing them out of Kuwait and then back into Iraq and destroyed or much of destroyed much of Iraq and the military scattered it throughout the desert, destroyed a lot of it. As a matter of fact, to preserve most of the Air Force, Saddam Hussein had his plane to fly to Iran, which took the planes. I I think I remember something like seventy seven planes or a hundred planes. And they flew to Iran, and Iran said, uh, we're going to keep them. But yes, you're right. There was decimation. They were decimated. There's a chill. There's a storm. The um, uh, Powell, uh, you know, was over with, over and over, uh, which, which created the Powell Doctrine, actually, an approach to military conflicts that advocated using overwhelming forces to maximize uh, success, which meant... Uh, talking about three to one four to one which means that when i come in i come in like a hammer and you put so much on the enemy till the enemy just turns tail and run and that was the uh, power doctrine but yes yeah and also unusually enough uh that is saudi arabia and the oil sheik subsidized that war so (laughs) so we didn't actually lose money on it uh so that was unusual too uh so So it was a, a unrivaled, untarnished success. Right. And so if Colin Powell had retired then, uh, it would have been perfection. Uh, perfection. It, 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 well, well, now, it, it, uh, Colin Powell, now remember, uh, he did retire, retired in 1993, uh, and then he joined the Senate. But Colin Powell, and I believe in 2001, was made Secretary of State. This is when he gets in trouble. This is when he gets in trouble. In 2000, uh, George uh, Walker Bush appointed him Secretary of State. And remember that uh, Powell was done confirmed by the Senate, and after that time was the highest-ranking civilian. But Powell was the one that, uh, 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 in 2003, as Secretary of State made the case against Iraq, uh, to go to war, not against, for, for going to war in Iraq uh, with the assertion that, if you recall, in 2003, weapons of mass destruction and a link with al-Qaeda. And that was the, uh, that was the, that those were the reasons that we supposedly went in 2003 to rid Iraq of Saddam Hussein because of his uh, dabbling with or his involvement in weapons of mass destruction and terrorism. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Powell, and remember Powell, uh, uh, made the case, but but Powell tried to convince uh, George uh, Walker Bush, uh, that son Bush, uh, the son, that uh, we don't need to go in there. We can just use containment, which is economic, uh, 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 which is economic uh, sanctions against Iraq and military containment. But uh, as you know, when it comes and you, you're dealing with politics now, so you're in a different realm. You're dealing with politics, and when you deal with politics, you're dealing with big business. 
and you're dealing with all the things that uh, actually run the country. So, so even though Powell tried to dissuade Bush, Bush decided to go on, and, and a, you know, and then Powell agreed to support it. So that means Powell had to uh, go and make the case for attacking Iraq to get allies to come along so it looked like a solo job against the United States. And Powell could do that because around the world, if you recall, Colin Powell's reputation for integrity was what helped him to convince uh, many in Congress and the country. In the country, uh, people believed in him because he was not—he was not uh, actually. I don't want to say he was not actually black. He was something that they believed in and trust because he was like them. And so he convinced Non-political. People saw him as non-political. Right, right, right. And he convinced the country and the Congress to uh, uh, that Iraq posed a threat because of terrorism and, of course, because of uh, uh, an uh, of mass destruction, which means that if we had an attack on the soil, we could do some real damage. But anyway, yeah, that's why Powell got in trouble after he became Secretary of State. When he was a military person, he quit. Remember, he did all those books, a lot of the books and things and tours, and he was the most popular person. They wanted to run for president. However, uh, he uh, uh, deferred from that. But he was uh, elected, uh, not elected, but appointed uh, Secretary of State by George Bush. And remember, the old man is the one who put him over the Joint Chiefs of Staff by appointing him as a general, four-star, which you must be to be over the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and have the confidence and, and, uh, of the President of the United States. So, and I think that's one of the questions we really need to get into in the time we have left, that is, when you're an African-American and you're in a high position and the boss, who happens may happen to be white, usually is, ask you to do something wrong or say something that's not true, where do you get the courage that you need to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell a lie for you. I'm not going to break the rules for you. I'm not going to do anything wrong to support you because a lot of people feel that with all that Colin Powell had going for him with his outstanding record he could have simply resigned uh, and said hey I'm not doing this right. and that would have had I, I, uh, no you're absolutely right because we always ask the questions about integrity, loyalty, valor um, and and um, uh, morality. We always throw those words out there. We want a leader uh, to maintain or retain those values that make us feel good about ourselves. But, you know, I refer you to this book right here, and it was written by Derek Bell, who is now deceased. Derek Bell wrote a book that was called Confronting Authority. And the book talked about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Hamer. And in the book, when you confront authority, there are consequences. And Malcolm X uh, was a result of consequences. His death, uh, Martin Luther King standing up for people the right way, morals, even though he had his flaws, 
he stood up and he was assassinated. And, and I'll never forget it. I was about 10, 10 12 miles away in, in West Memphis, Arkansas, or below that. And he was in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Hotel. And then, of course, I can't remember the state Fannie New Hamer was in. I'm going to say Mississippi. It could have been Alabama or Louisiana. But anyway, she was in a state where she was beaten by her own for fighting for voting rights, uh, for people to vote. And Derek Bell says in Confronting Authority, which way will you turn? Now, having said that, authority confronting leadership, right, wrong, good, bad. We're talking about Colin Powell now, just like with Malcolm X, with Dr. Martin Luther King, with Fannie Lou Hamer, and other civil rights leaders. Uh, Roy, uh, I, I got his name wrong, uh, the great uh, actor. He was an athlete actor. He turned against the United States, and they destroyed his career. Robeson. It was uh, oh, Paul Robeson. Uh, Paul Robeson. He was destroyed for speaking out against uh, racism in the United States. So the point being is, I don't know what Colin Powell was facing, would have faced, had he said, no, this is wrong. But he carried the line. He towed the line. And by towing the line, he became what, as you know, a team player. And team players will go along with the team regardless. Now, sometimes they won't toe the line or they'll break protocol because they'll feel something deep inside of them saying this is immoral. This is uh, wrong. It goes against my moral certitude. I can't stomach it. I'll have to turn aside and let someone have, someone else have this. And then some people will say, for the greater good, I will continue. I'll march on. I mean, I know that this is wrong, but 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 because this is just a part of the whole, and the whole is what I'm trying to preserve, a greater part of the whole. This is just a small amount. I will accept this, and I will... Uh, carry this out so that I can preserve the rest of the body. And so I don't know what Colin Powell would have been thinking, but as you say, could he turn away? Sure, he probably could have. Why didn't he turn away? Not sure about that or how it works, but Colin Powell said in his answer that he was convinced by the intelligence community that what he was doing was right. But in a sense, being a general for over 30 some odd years, I'm sure in his gut, he had to have known something. So the answer of towing the line means, was there a greater good than this? And, 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 and that has to be really looked at because you're talking about the slaughter of innocent people when you look at war. War is not pretty. And that's why when a lot of people come back from Iraq, they, they go crazy. I shouldn't say they go crazy. They have they, they, they're, they're PTSD. Post-traumatic uh, battlefield syndrome, where you didn't see murder, you didn't see bodies blown apart, burning flesh, you didn't killed without uh, 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 provocation. You're on the edge, and then when you come back here, you never get off because you feel guilty about what you you've done. You need counseling. You not only need counseling, you have a disability, and so and so. What was the greater good? I don't know. Why did he do it? Did he think he was right? I don't know. Uh, is there, was there something that drove him afterward? Yeah. When he found out, he admitted it. Is, is, is admission a way of getting absolution from yourself? Uh, cleaning your psyche or at least healing from what you've done? 
Well, you know, Malcolm X said in, uh, on one of the documentaries in one of his speeches, he said that, um, that America wanted to uh, uh, castrate every black man. And, uh, of course, he didn't mean physically. He meant psychologically. And so that is the question that we all have to face, not only as black men, but as black people in America. That uh, And what makes it more difficult, of course, is that I would say that America has sort of a three-tiered morality. It has a political morality. It has an economic morality, and it has a personal morality. The personal morality is is what. Falls religious morality too, because that's why people get to this thing about right and wrong. But anyway, go ahead, you're absolutely right. And you're so right. I would throw in the the, the church based morality and with the personal morality. So oh, okay, so what happens is that you have a country that's sort of based on at its foundation uh, annihilation or subjugation of the indigenous people, plus creating wealth by. Uh, uh, the the work of slaves from Africa. So, and then your original founding documents, uh, the Bill of Rights, uh, the Constitution, don't apply to every, every, everyone. Absolutely. So, so you're on, on shaky Absolutely. moral ground from the get-go. Right. And right. then you have the, this personal morality that is sort of Bible study, uh, Sunday morning church, uh, choir practice, and so, uh, and in reality, the the mor- the different moralities don't really match up, and so you're trying to teach the children that this is right and this is wrong, that it's uh, it's okay to create wealth by nefarious means. Uh, it's okay to create political power by nefarious means, but you're supposed to follow these Bible teachings with people that are like you and that you like. In other words, uh, people that you think are in your same category, you're supposed to treat them with respect and nicely and apply some moral code. But people who are not like you, well, you can just treat them any old way. And so, and so that's why our kids and our country is in kind of disarray. That's why, you know, we had the first civil war and we may be heading toward the second one uh, because you have these three tiered, uh, uh, this three tiered morality and they don't match up. Right. No, you're absolutely right on everything that you said. But what you have to understand is the hegemony of the United States. There was a book written by Norm Chomsky, and Chomsky talked about, when you talked about the United States uh, castrating, it didn't just castrating the nation or black men, it's, ca- it's castrating the world. And, and, and that's where you have East and West Bloc nations and everybody has nuclear weapons because they're saying, if you mess with me, I might not be able to beat you in a con- with a conventional army, but I'll blow you to smithereens because I can blow up the world seven times. And that's how they keep each other at bay. East, West Bloc, and even internal, the, you know, United States, Britain, 
uh, uh, France, uh, all of them have nuclear weapons, but in, in Israel. The, the point being, when you go back with Noam Chauncey said, the, the sublimation of hegemony, it means that I want to supplant myself as it was in the early 16, 17, 1800. Christianity said, we will go into the world and we will find the heathen and those that do not submit to Christianity or to God or Jesus, the things that we have committed, created, we will destroy them. So when you talk about the United States and what people uh, talk about when it comes to morality, right, wrong, good, bad, the standard for that morality is white morality. It's because they're saying we conquered this country, we took this country, we enslaved black people. Our morals are the best morals and people should follow our morals. Not the moral of minorities, not even the morals of women because, you know, we are chauvinistic and this, this is a man's world. But the morals of the white male and, and that's the way it goes and when you look at Colin Powell and you look at what he done you, are at, you must ask yourself was he a victim of the norms and mores of the Caucasian society that says this is right and there is no challenge to my right it's almost like God when you talk about God and God is the incarnation or certainly God is the representation of a white male was old or young a white male and in God's mind God does the same thing almighty power you gotta wrap it up Mac tortures imprisons gotta wrap it up Mac Thank you, thank you, Max Shaw, for being here with us today. Talk about Colin Powell. You've been great.